Just a heads up before we get started. This episode contains depictions of violence that some people may find disturbing. If that is difficult or uncomfortable for you, please take care. My name is Kalyani Saxena, and you're listening to Cognitive Dissident, a podcast about politics and minority history. On January 23, 1989, Jennifer Clarice Johnson was a 23-year-old mother ready to give birth to her second child. 90 seconds later, she would be a criminal. Johnson was the first American woman to be convicted for trafficking drugs to her infant through an umbilical cord. Under Florida's laws, a fetus is not a person, so prosecutors argued that in the 60 to 90 seconds before the umbilical cord was cut, she transmitted cocaine to her child. For the crime of being a drug-addicted mother, she was sentenced to 15 years of probation. Although striking, Jennifer Johnson's case is by no means the exception. It is part of a long history of the American government using the concept of child abuse and endangerment to punish, control, and incarcerate vulnerable black and brown women. Today, I tell that story. The topic of drug addiction amongst pregnant women is by no means uncontroversial. For many, there is an overwhelming feeling that women who take drugs while pregnant are selfish and reckless. In the minds of the public, they are a figure worthy of the worst kind of condemnation. They are women who are supposedly so uncaring about others that they would willingly harm the health of their children for another hit. A groundbreaking new law takes effect in Tennessee this summer. It allows criminal charges against pregnant women who abuse drugs. Tennessee will be the only place where a mother can be prosecuted based on the impact from drugs on her pregnancy. A mother can avoid going to jail if she enrolls in a drug treatment program. CBS News legal analyst Ricky Kleeman is with us. This isn't just about the pregnancy. If you are a drug addict, you are giving birth to a drug-addicted child. And more states are considering these types of laws. Well, more states, 17 states say it's child abuse. And when we look at the spectrum, this has been growing as a drug epidemic. It's really a frightening thing. The judge in Jennifer Johnson's case, Judge Eaton, felt similarly. According to author Lauren Siegel, at her sentencing, he said, The choice to use or not to use cocaine is just that, a choice. Pregnant addicts have been on notice for years that taking cocaine may be harmful to their children. This verdict puts pregnant addicts on notice that they have a responsibility to seek treatment for their addiction prior to giving birth. Otherwise, the state may very well use criminal prosecution to force compliance with the law or in appropriate cases to punish those who violate it. 32-year-old Christine Michelle Beam is pregnant. She recently tested positive for an illegal substance while in custody of authorities. Now she's being held for endangering her unborn child. Again, this is out of the Texas Penal Code. An individual means a human being who is alive, including an unborn child at every stage of gestation from fertilization to birth. 
So reading that in conjunction with the endangering a child statute, I believe there is a basis for prosecution uh, potentially. The narrative about individual choice is tempting. It's easier to support punishing pregnant women if we believe that they are responsible for harming someone else. However, the reality is much different than the easy picture that Judge Eaton and others paint. For one, as scholar Michelle Oberman points out, pregnant women with drug addictions are not acting with the intent of harm. Addiction means there is a psychological and physical need for the drug. These women are not malicious or even thoughtless. They are real women struggling with a dependency that is incredibly hard to shake. And it is also simply inaccurate to imply, as Judge Eaton does, that these women are not seeking alternatives to giving birth to drug-addicted children. Many women, including Jennifer Johnson, try to seek treatment but are unable to secure it. Author Lauren Siegel explains that it is incredibly tough for even highly motivated pregnant women to find a treatment program that will accept them. Loss and loneliness led Kristen Sabana down a long path of addiction. Once I wasn't able to get those from a doctor anymore, then I switched to heroin. Fifteen years of darkness. You don't know until it's too late. Finally clean for three years, and then... I used for five weeks while I was pregnant with him. She relapsed until the moment she felt her son kick for the very first time. It didn't bother me that I was hurting myself, but it bothered me to know I was hurting him. So she denied her shame and fear of arrest or legal retribution and sought help, only to be turned down by a major hospital here in Indy. I felt like there was just no hope. That's not an uncommon occurrence for addicted pregnant women, treating them as, after all, tricky. Siegel cites a study from 1989 that reveals that of 78 drug treatment programs surveyed in New York City, 54% refused to treat pregnant women and 87% had zero services for pregnant women on Medicaid looking to get off crack. Given the fact that state funding has consistently declined under neoliberalism, it is likely that these numbers are even starker today. Drug-addicted women are also unable to get the prenatal care they need to help their children without fear of arrest or incarceration. According to author Michelle Goodwin, law enforcement officials have enlisted medical professionals to police pregnant women by revealing confidential information about the women to police without their permission. Low-income women of color are undoubtedly disproportionately targeted and impacted by such policies. Siegel discusses a study that found that pregnant black women were nearly 10 times as likely to be reported for substance abuse than white women, despite having comparable patterns of drug abuse. In 1988, the Medical University of South Carolina released medical information about their patients to the police to help aid with prosecutions. These women were treated violently and callously by the police who arrested many mothers still bleeding from giving birth and shackled them with chains and leg irons. Of the 30 women arrested, 29 were black. The fact that drug-addicted women attempting to secure prenatal care are met with arrest and incarceration is incredibly revealing. It indicates that the policing of pregnant women was never coming from a place of care, as some might feel compelled to argue. If that were the case, then the state would never have enlisted doctors and essential health care professionals, the people pregnant women and babies need the most. 
In fact, upon closer examination, the government's justification of child endangerment begins to fall apart. Children born to incarcerated mothers are not necessarily safer or healthier. Psychiatrist and anthropologist Carolyn Suffren has personally reviewed cases from jails across the country where prison doctors ignore pregnant women's bleeding, leading to miscarriages and stillbirths. She describes a culture of shame in which doctors deny incarcerated pregnant women prenatal care as punishment. There are also significant long-term effects to having an incarcerated mother. According to author Lynn Haney, many young children deal with behavioral issues and educational delays, while other children are more likely to drop out of school and become incarcerated themselves. If not out of a genuine concern for children, why then does the state incarcerate so many black women struggling with addiction? Michelle Goodwin argues that criminalizing poor women of color allows the state to rob women of reproductive autonomy. This fits in with Carolyn Suffren's theory that mass incarceration and the criminalization of poverty are actually tools of social control that depend on the regulation of reproduction. Since many incarcerated women are removed from society during their reproductive years, they are unable to have more children. Alternatively, Lauren Siegel proposes that the incarceration of women of color lifts the blame off the government by responsibilizing individual women. The shocking stories of women who have put the lives of their children in danger distracts from the lack of available treatment and social welfare that got the women there in the first place. While there may be an urge to relegate the state's control over black women's pregnancies to the past, perhaps as an ugly marker of the war on drugs, it is incredibly important that we not do so. The state's claims of child endangerment bolstered by the prosecution of drug-addicted women has now evolved to include women who lose children through miscarriages and stillbirths. When Marcia Jones was five months pregnant, she fought with a woman who shot her in the stomach. Jones, 28, miscarried. But even as the shooting victim faced a manslaughter charge. The state's policing of drug-addicted women under the pretense of protecting children forces many women, left without any viable options for treatment, to choose between prenatal care and incarceration. It is not a choice that anyone should have to make. As long as decriminalizing pregnancy remains a distant and impossible future, so too does a world in which vulnerable black and brown women struggling with addiction can have their children safely and peacefully.